Looking at our world from a theological perspective, this is the Theology Central Podcast, making Theology Central. Good afternoon, everyone. It is Sunday, November the 6th, 2022. It is currently 5.01 p.m. Central Time, and I'm coming to you live from the Theology Central studio located right here in Abilene, Texas, where the sun will set at 5.54 p.m. At 5.54 p.m. Central Time here in West Texas, The sun is going down, the sun is setting, and darkness will be here before 6 p.m. No, no, see, I the whole time changing back and forth. I I don't know. I I know it's the never-ending debate, right? Some people like, I love the time change. Other people like, I despise the time change. I just it's dark before 6 p.m. I don't know about that. I don't know. Does it, does it bother you? Does it care? I saw a study. I know this has nothing to do with what we're going to be talking about. It's something like because of the time change or when we stop with the, whenever we switch to the time now, I think it says something like 30,000 deer, are, their lives are saved because of the, of the time that we're in right now. Um, you know, daylight saving times, standard time, all the, the, you know, the difference there. And um, I, I'd have to find that news story. I thought that was interesting. I mean, I'm all, I'm all for trying to save deer from being hit from a car by a car because that's a, ooh, that's a horrible, exper- horrible experience. I had one come through the windshield, knock me unconscious, and I thought it took out my eye, and I got kicked in the face, and yeah, it was bad. I had to go to the hospital, and I was unconscious. It was, it was crazy. I mean, the thing, the deer just come flying through the windshield. <laughs> I mean, just right into my face. It was bad. Um, But we we won't go through that whole story. But I just thought that was interesting. So I don't know if you love the time change or despise the time change. I don't know if you like it or don't like it. But I know this. 5.44 p.m., right, this window behind me, I'll see the sunset and darkness arrive. And really, I kind of need to wait till 5.44 p.m. to really do this episode because this episode is a continuation of our late night sermon review that we started late last night, around 10 or 11 p.m. We were doing a sermon review. See, that's why you need the Church One app when it's working correctly, or the Spreaker app, because we're always going live at who knows when, but we were doing a sermon review. Now, the sermon review, we didn't really make it very far. I think if you've been listening to me for any length of time, I think some of you can tell me Exact, even if you didn't hear it, what happens during our sermon reviews? What happens? Well, what happens is, remember, first of all, we don't listen to the sermon before we review it because then that's rehearsed and it's programmed and we don't like that. We like it to really feel like I'm sitting down to listen to a sermon and I invite you to sit down with me and we listen to it in real time together and I analyze and react in real time just as you're analyzing and reacting in real time. But typically what happens in the sermon reviews is we're reviewing the sermon, but they will mention one thing or have one point. And we'll be like, whoa, stop. And then, it, and then we, we just get preoccupied with that one point. Sometimes it even turns into an additional sermon series. Well, that's kind of what happened last night. One point got mentioned, and next thing you know, we're looking up websites and trying to figure it out. So let me just remind you, the sermon that we were reviewing is called Put God First. Put God First in Your Life. All right. And this was a sermon that that I found while I was sitting in my car waiting for my Walmart order pickup uh, to be put in my trunk. 
I grabbed the Sermons 2.0 app. I just started looking randomly and it said staff picks. Put God first in your life. And I'm like, okay. I start, I, I hit play and immediately realize, oh, it's from the Sermon on the Mount. And I immediately hit pause and said, nope, we'll do that for a sermon review. Because I have an entire series on the Church One app dedicated to the Sermon on the Mount. I did notice today I need to be adding a whole lot more uh, sermons to it because there's some sermons missing from the series. I will start working on that uh, maybe this evening. I'll try to get them loaded because um, we, we, we want them all right there. But uh, my contention, my belief, my hypothesis is that the Sermon on the Mount, even though it's one of the most famous sermons ever preached, it's one of the most misunderstood, misinterpreted, and misused sermons in the history of humankind because, and it's not misunderstood and misinterpreted by the world. I'm not even worried about that. It's misinterpreted and misused by the church. It may be misinterpreted by the world, but I'm more worried about how the church handles it or mishandles it because it is preached in so many really messed up ways. So, so that's why I was interested. Okay, Sermon on the Mount. Well, he didn't really get far into the Sermon on the Mount, and he mentioned in Matthew chapter 6 that idea that basically, hey, you're more valuable than the birds. God feeds and provides for the birds. They don't have to reap. They don't have to sow. They don't have to gather in, bird, in barns. So God will provide for you. And I'm like, well, that's a beautiful theological idea and concept. But the reality is someone starves to death on this planet every four seconds. So how do we understand this promise? And so we talked about some of the different ways people have tried to get around it. We looked at it, and there's so much more we want to say about that problem. But here's the thing. If I turn on the microphone for part two of the sermon review, and I just start pursuing that line of reasoning, we're never going to finish the sermon review. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to press on with the sermon review to see ultimately what the thesis of this sermon is, exactly what his hypothesis is, and see what we, whether we agree or disagree, whether it's biblical or unbiblical. And we will circle back around to some of the problems in Matthew 6 with this promise and how it's understood. So tomorrow morning for the Today's Focus podcast series, I'll be putting forth a, a verse in Luke that is very confusing, but it's very much related to this. And you'll see how it all works. Yeah, all the, all of our podcast series really are linked together. They, they really are. I mean, sometimes people catch on to the how they're connected. Some people don't. But a lot of times, if I'm talking about this, the reason I'm talking about that is because there's a connection. So um, you'll just have to pay attention and see how it all comes together. But are you ready? We're going to go back to this sermon, put God first. I don't, I think this was preached in like 2016, 2015. Um, and um, well, it's from the Sermon on the Mount, which I basically reject most of the interpretations and how it's used. I believe it's unbiblical. I believe it turns, uh, they preach law almost in a gospel-minded way when it's law and it's got to be interpreted as law. We won't go, listen to our series on understanding law and gospel, and you'll see what I'm referring to there. You need a proper distinction between law and gospel, and people do crazy things with the sermons on, Sermon on the Mount. Sermon on the Mount is to show you what you can't do. It gives you these absolutes that are impossible for you to keep because you are a sinner. 
The only one who's ever kept the Sermon on the Mount, fulfilled the Sermon on the Mount, is the one who preached it. His name is Jesus Christ. And the only way we are ever obedient to the Sermon on the Mount is in the finished work of Jesus Christ and his imputed righteousness. Now, it may be a standard which we pursue, but we are going to fall short of it over and 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 over again. By the time you get down to the Sermon on the Mount, you should be ripping off your clothes, shaving your head, throwing ash upon your head and face and say, Lord, I'm a sinner. I deserve nothing but condemnation and damnation because it condemns. I mean, it's in the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus says, be ye perfect as your heavenly father in heaven. Heaven is perfect. Well, right there, you know, you're condemned. Blessed is the pure in heart. Who has a pure heart? We have a sinful nature. I could go on and on and on and on and on and on, but we're going to go back. I don't know which direction this sermon is going to go. Remember, and I'll listen to it in advance. I just listened to enough of it to say, hey, it's about the Sermon on the Mount. And our review last night, that was an hour long, we made it five minutes <laughs> into the sermon. So if it takes an hour for every five minutes, <laughs> we'll finish this sermon review in 2028, okay? So no, let's get started. Are you ready? Here we go. Let's begin. The sun is slowly setting behind me. It's 81 degrees outside. The sun is setting so I'm going to pretend that this is a late night sermon review, part two. Just pretend it's dark. Pretend it's like midnight, all right? Well, that'd be early morning sermon review. Believe it's 11 p.m. All right, there you go. All right, are you ready? Here we go. Thinking caps on. Let's have a good time. Let's learn something. Remember, we don't do sermon reviews because we're trying to pick on someone or we're picking a good sermon or a bad sermon. We just randomly pick a sermon because I love listening to the word of God being preached. Even if I disagree with everything in it, I still usually get something from it because it forces me to think and challenges me with different perspectives. So here we go. If God so clothed the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow's cast in the oven, shall he not much more clothe you, O ye of little faith? This is our problem. We don't have a lot of faith. We don't, we don't know and understand that our Heavenly Father is God Almighty and he's well able to take care of us. Can I tell you something tonight? Now, you listen to me. It could happen in America. The Social Security could collapse. I wonder if it'd make you commit suicide. I wonder if you'd, oh, oh, and wonder if you'd march on Washington. I wonder if you'd start shooting toward the White House if Social Security, what, what about the check you're getting? What if government couldn't take care of you any longer? And by the way, can I tell you, probably what's going to happen in this country is going to get to the point where government won't be taking care of you. And you're going to find out that only God can really meet the needs of your life. But would your life go crazy if, you did, if Social Security went bankrupt? If the government, if your retirement, your, the company that you got a retirement from, uh, you know, suddenly your, the retirement fund's empty and they're bankrupt and somebody raided it and you don't, and you were depending on that. I'm telling you, God is trying to get us to where we're not dependent upon man, upon governments, even our own abilities, and to trust our Heavenly Father. That's where he's trying to get us to. Okay. It preaches good. I always like to take things to a logical conclusion because he, he keeps using this text. And again, if you go with these, the, the way this text reads, it seems very absolute. Look, hey, the birds... They don't do anything. They don't work and they get it. Well, they do, they do gather it, but it says they don't sow, they don't reap, they don't gather into barns. So I just, they gather exactly what they need to eat at that moment. Okay. But the, the implication, at least he's made in this sermon is like, Hey, we don't, we don't need to rely on anything. God will take care of us. 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 Well, what about 
within 2,000 years of church history, Christians who've frozen to death, starved to death, died because of this or this or this or this or this, all the different, where was God taking care of them? Well, what happened to Christians who live in countries where there's severe drought and famine and plague and pestilence? They die. They die. So, so I, I, I mean, like, hey, hey, if, 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 you, if your entire livelihood is dependent upon your social security check and it goes away, hey, you're just supposed to stand there and go, well, praise God, he's going to take care of me. If, you're, if you go to work tomorrow and your company goes out of business and you no longer have a job, hey, don't worry, God's going to take care of you. Now, in theory, I believe that's what we're called to do. In practice, we fall short of that all the time because we, everyone, everyone fails in some way when it comes to worry. That's just the facts. I don't know how we can deny that. It's just a fact. So, all right. But I understand what he's trying to say. I do believe God wants us to trust him. I do believe that. But do we take the promise that, hey, God's going to, God's going to provide, God's going to take care of me. Well, we, we say that and then we go out and guess what we do? We sow, we reap, and we gather into barns, right? We have, we try to have a savings account. We may set up a retirement fund. We have investments. We may do lots of things. Now he would not, I don't believe, say any of those things are wrong. So like, what does it look like practically to say, Hey, God's going to take care of everything. All right, but I'm going to get up at six o'clock in the morning, go to work, going to work till 5 p.m. I'm going to save my money, going to make sure I do this, make sure I do that. Let's save money. Let's not do that. Let's cut that back. Like, so how, how do we balance that out? It, it's easy to preach like, you better trust God. It's another thing, you know, how, how does that work? I, I don't know. I, 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 I just... Let's just see where it goes, because he's only six minutes into the sermon. I still don't know what the thesis of his sermon is. I still don't know, because supposedly the thesis is put God first. So I'm assuming what he's going to say, how do you know you put God first? Well, you don't worry. Well, if that's the case, nobody puts God's, put, God's, put God first. And you guess what? We don't. We don't put God first. We put ourselves first. That's why we need to be saved by an imputed righteousness, because our practical righteousness, like putting God first, we fall short. And that's why the Sermon on the Mount condemns because we fall short of it. But let's let's see which which direction he's going to go. Well, he, he goes ahead there and he says, uh, he says, little faith. Verse 31, therefore, take no thought saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or wherewithal shall we be clothed? Now, he's going to use a phrase here three times. And the phrase is all these things. Verse 32 for after all these things do the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knoweth that ye have need of all these things. God knows our needs before we even know them. And God is one who is truly able to meet our daily needs. And by the way, he said, having food and raiment, let us therewith be content. Anything beyond that's a luxury. Amen. Now he said this in verse 33. Here's the key. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things shall be added unto you. Now I want to preach today a message entitled the promises of God's priority. God sets a priority and then he connects a promise to it. Now I... Okay, the promise of God's priority. So he's saying there's a promise. It's a conditional promise. 
And we'll get that promise if we do something. And all we have to do, it, it sounds like where this is going, is all you have to do is put God first. So this would be the way this would typically work. God does promise provision. God does promise to do all of this for you. However, you don't get the provision until you put God first. You meet the requirement, you get the provision. I will argue, does anyone actually, honestly, ever, I mean, come on, actually, truly seek first the kingdom of God and put God first? Because if we, to obey this would mean you have to put God first. Listen, you'd have to do so in a personal way. You'd have to do so in a perfect way. You would have to do do so in an exact way. You'd have to do so in an entire way, and you'd have to do so in a perpetual way. And I say that immediately you're going to realize you don't put God first. So then how does this work? He's getting ready to create a system where you get, if you do, if you do this, if you seek God the right way, you get his provision. You don't get his provision, whose fault is it? It's your, this is the same thing like God will heal you if you have enough faith. Well, here, God will provide for you if you put God first. Now, maybe that's not the direction he's going, but the considering he's saying this is the promise of, of priority, the, the, the God's promise of God's priority, you're, I'm telling you, this is, this is clearly the logical implication. Maybe he's not going to take it there. I don't know how he's going to circle back ar- around it. I don't know how he's going to get around it because he, that's where he's walking right into this kind of dilemma. You, and so then anyone who, who claims to be a Christian who God's not providing for, well, they didn't put God first. 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 Mm, I, I'm interested to see where this is going. I'm interested. This is... This has got, ooh, this has got so many theological implications. Ooh, we could spend, oh, there's so much we could do here. I I hope this sparks as much conversation as there are thoughts in my head right now. Let's see where this goes. I'm not going to stand up here today and lie to you in a way and say, oh, I never worry about this, or I'm never concerned about the future, or I never wonder about this. But I am going to tell you that in a pretty subtle way, I'm not worried about tomorrow. I'm not worried about next year. I'm very aware that I could lose everything I have materially wise on earth. There's nothing we have that cannot be taken away from us except our Lord Jesus Christ. He's the only thing we've got that cannot be taken away from us. So I could lose my... Now, I would say there's not a thing that we have that cannot be taken away from us. That is absolutely true. Our health, our mental ability, physical ability... Material possessions, wealth, ability to work, everything can be taken from us except our salvation, except Jesus Christ. That is absolutely true. That is very, very true. That, that, that is, that is a, that's a good, that's a very good point and something that you could even probably write down. Everything can be taken from you. Everything, your children, your spouse, your family, Every, everything can be taken from you at any moment. And there is no guarantee as a Christian that it won't be taken from you. Please see what happened to Job. Sometimes it has not a thing to do with sin in your life. All right. So, all right. All right. So that's a good point. That's a good point. But I, 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 I could spend some time talking about that point. 
but my cons- uh, but I'm interested in seeing where he's going. The promise of priority, the promise of priority, because it sounds like God promises a lot of things, but I got to do something. I got to. So this is getting ready to be what we would refer to when we talk about law and gospel, a very law based sermon. This is this sounds like it's getting ready to go straight up law, 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 do this, do this. You can get this if you do something right. Very law based, not gospel based. But let's let's see how we should understand. Let's see how he thinks we should understand this. My house, I could lose my wife, I could lose my children, I could lose uh, whatever possessions we have. I could go home today and stuff be stolen. It has been before when I got home from church. And God says, Reggie, I don't want you worrying about that. Let me tell you what, we talk about peace. And one thing we don't have peace is because we're so worried about what's going to happen tomorrow. I, I'll tell you, I went through a time whenever literally I thought worry was going to kill me. I was so uh, distressed about some things. And here's a passage of scripture that God used to steady my soul through the storm. It's the next verse. Take therefore no thought for the morrow, for the morrow shall take thought for the things of itself. Look at this phrase, sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. You know what? I could be worrying about what I'm going to do about something that's due next week, and I might not even be alive. What's the use of me worrying about things beyond sufficient to the day is the evil thereof? Things can change really, really fast. There's many cases in the Bible when it looked like people, Daniel was thrown in the lion's den. Can you imagine him walking toward the lion's den, getting ready to be thrown in? But God changed it. Can you imagine the three Hebrew children being walked to the fiery furnace? But God changed it. I mean, from one hour to the next, the world has totally changed. I want to say to you young people that are just getting married and raising your family and maybe you've had some hard licks and so forth and especially some of you midlife married people and about the time you thought you were really getting ahead, you get 14 knocks behind. How many's ever lost everything? You know, some of you have, I'm telling you something, or about everything. That's not fun. But I'm going to tell you this, that God can turn it around and he can turn it around fast and God does not want you worrying about the future. Now he gave us a promise here in verse 33, but seek ye first. God can turn it around. Okay. Again, I, these are just questions. I, I sometimes when, when, and I've said so many times, the church never seems to Christians in general, the church in general, always exceptions, sometimes don't want to deal with the, the dip, difficult philosophical questions. Some of our teaching and preaching would just raise it, raises anyone's mind who there's thinking about it. God can turn it around. Well, but why did he cause it to happen in the first place? So if God has the power to turn it around, then God had the power to stop it. But God didn't stop it. So why didn't he stop it if he was going to simply turn it around? Well, then we say, well, he did it for a purpose. But, and so, but I'm just saying it raises lots of questions about why these things happen, why they don't happen. And just remember, most of the time, we don't know and we don't get an answer. Job never got an answer. He just got questions, right? So think that's very important. But all right, let, I'm still still trying to figure out exactly where he's going to go with this, right? Well, I, I want to know, I want to know, I want to know, I want to know. I, I hope he clearly states his hypothesis. I hope he clearly states his thesis, clearly states it. And because his, his title is the promise of priority. I, I want him to clearly state exactly what the idea he wants us to get here. And he should do that, I'm assuming, sometime soon since we're almost 10 minutes in the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And here's the promise. All of your basic life necessities will be met if you will seek God, not second, not third, not fourth or fifth, but first.
All right, there we have it. There's the thesis. All of your necessities will be guaranteed, will be met if, if you, you do something, you seek first the kingdom of God, not second, not third, but first. If God is first in your life, all your needs will be met. Wow, that's a big statement. You got Christians in some third world nation starving or dying, and I guess you just take your airplane, land it, walk up to all of them, go, hey, guys, if you seek God first, you won't be starving. If you seek God first, you won't be suffering famine. If you seek God first, you won't be suffering a drought. If you seek God first, you'll have everything you need, not everything you want, but everything you need. That's a big statement. That's a gigantic statement. It's easy for American Christians to say this. Seek first and all your needs are met. So, so, like, how does that work? Now, obviously, what they would say, seek God first, all your needs will be met, but you have to then go out and work and get it and, because you're not just going to seek God. Hey, I'm seeking God first, so I'm just going to stay at home and all and everything's going to be taken care of. No, you're going to have to go get a job and go do this and do this. But supposedly, the reason you get a job for your needs, well, so how does it work when people's needs are met who don't seek God first? How, how does it work for people who don't seek God first? Maybe believers, right, in the United States of America who clearly they're not seeking God first, but they have a nicer house than I do, a nicer car than I do, a nicer computer than I have. How does that work? And how do you know if you're seeking God first? Is there a test? Is there a test? Oh, I got, I got lots of questions here. Lord, help us to preach today in a way that would glorify you. Help us to glorify and exalt and lift up the Lord Jesus Christ. And Lord, I pray, help us to preach in a way, Lord, that would help these folks, that would feed the flock of God. Lord, that would disturb the devil's aggravation to their lives. I pray, God, today, build us up in the most holy faith. Make us know who you are, that you don't write stuff to torment us, that you mean what you say. And Lord, I pray today, take away the care and the thinking and the worrying and the fretting about all the junk that life throws at us, the uncertainty of this world. And God help us to know. I just, I just sometimes laugh at, again, pray, prayers. I, I talk about it, my own struggle with it whenever I preach. I don't, I don't usually pray before my sermon. I, I sometimes wish I didn't pray after my sermon because typically what preachers do is we just start preaching during the, the prayer. We, I, I said the serve, or, or yeah, I don't pray before, or, or I wish sometimes I didn't pray after my sermon because what we do is many cases, we're not praying to God, we're preaching to the people. Like if we pray before the sermon, you start getting a head start and you're giving a preview of your sermon in your prayer. And then when, you're, when you pray after the sermon, all you're simply doing is review viewing the sermon so that everyone gets the major points. God, uh, God doesn't need, God, God doesn't need me to repeat my sermon or preach my sermon to him. But we, we phrase it like, help the people understand this, help the people understand this, help the people under, what I'm saying is God, I'm, I'm pretending I'm talking to you so that I can make sure the people remember this and this and this and this. I just think it's, I think it's somewhat taking God's name in vain in the sense that I, I'm pretending to be praying when all I'm doing is preaching. Oh, it's so, it's so, it's so easy to do. And I'm not blaming any preacher who does it. 
Because I, I've, I've been guilty a million times. That's why I don't pray before I preach. If I'm going to pray before I preach, it's not from the pulpit. It's home. It's in the car. It's, it's when I'm walking around the church getting things ready in my mind and me saying, okay, Lord, you know, I pray that this goes well and, you know, that kind of thing, um, that I don't, you know, I say what is right, those types of things. But after, it's just that, okay, uh, you know, all right, we're, we're done. So what, how do we finish? Let us pray. And what I need to just say is, thus says the word of the Lord, or that is the preaching of God's word. Use one of the liturgical endings of a sermon or just say amen and just be done. Uh, but we have a tendency to pray where then I repeat the key points of the sermon. I'm supposed to be talking. Talk, prayer is talking to God. It's not talking so that other people can see you talk. It's not, it's not a witnessing tool. It's not an evangelism tool. And it's not an opportunity to say I'm talking to God so that I can still keep talking to you. No, uh, it's so easy to. And so over there, I start feeling he's. What is he? He feels like he's starting to preach the sermon. He's starting to preach the sermon. It's just so. <clears throat> it, I, there's no easy way around it. It's just. It's just something that happens. I just. I just notice it a lot of times in sermons when I hear them. Like they'll. They'll do the intro, then they stop, then they pray. Then they go into the sermon, but sometimes they do the intro, and then when they pray, by the time they get to that prayer part, right, he's 10 minutes into the sermon, and now he's praying. Well, guess what? It's almost inevitable that he's going to just continue on preaching. It's almost inevitable. So why pray there? Lord, that you're unshakable, you're unmovable, you're immutable, Lord. You don't change, and that you're the God that takes care of the sparrows, Lord. You're the one who clothes the flowers, and you're well able to take care of us. And so, Lord, I pray today, fill this place with faith and hope and joy and gladness in the Lord Jesus Christ. And, Lord, I pray today, if there's anybody in this building that's lost, Lord, they're one heartbeat away from the bowels of hell forever. I pray, God, they'll get saved while they're sitting in their seat today. I pray, Lord, they'll get honest with themselves that they're a sinner, and they deserve hell and eternal separation from God. And, Lord, it's no light thing to sin against the Lord. I pray... See, he, that's, he's preaching to the lost people. I, I it just, oh, mm, I don't know. I don't know. I struggle with this. I struggle with this. God, today, make him fear and tremble, Lord, that you're a just God. And if you did justly, Heavenly Father, apart from Christ, we'd all be in hell. I pray, God, today, make him, Lord, give him the spirit of repentance. God, make him humble themselves before you, Lord, and and receive the Lord Jesus Christ. And help them to know, Lord, it's not how good they'll do, but it's Christ and Christ alone. And his blood that was shed for their sin in their place on the cross. And Lord, I thank you that we're saved by grace through faith. And make that real to people here today. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. I want to preach this on the promise of priorities. The Old Testament has a principle in it, and it's this. I couldn't believe it this morning. I'd come up and sat down in my seat today, and Brother Dean walked in, and he had a, 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 a napkin, and something was inside the napkin, and he said, well, he said, here, this is yours. He said, in the Old Testament, this was supposed to come to the priest. He said, it's the first fruits. I sat there, and knowing what I was going to preach on, I liked to fell out of my seat. And what he brought was a little yellow tomato, and it was the very first ripe tomato, and he brought it to his preacher. Isn't that sweet? I mean, that's a blessing, isn't it? I just popped it in my mouth and ate it. I, I knew somebody would get it if I didn't eat it. I got it. Amen. And so I ate it. And I thought how amazing that the Holy Spirit put it on his heart 
to pick the first ripe yellow tomato, tomato day and bring it to church. And here I'm going to preach on putting God first in your life. Because that was the way God began to teach the people in the Old Testament. They were to bring the firstborn to the Lord. Do you know the Bible said they had to redeem the firstborn with it? Remember that wild-ass message I preached? And they, the firstborn belongs to God in a special way. They were to bring the That wild what message? What did he say? I got to back that up. I got to back that up. All right, here we go. Putting God first in your life. Because that was the way God began to teach the people in the Old Testament. They were to bring the firstborn to the Lord. Do you know the Bible said they had to redeem the firstborn with it? Remember that wild-ass message I preached? And they, the first... That wild what message? What, what did he say? Okay, I, I, I'm not going to get caught. What did he say? I, I know what I think I'm hearing. I don't, there's no way he said that. There's no way he, that wild, that wild mess. What, what did he say? Okay, all right, I don't know. I don't know. I don't, I don't want to get distracted by it, but it definitely sounded like something. Maybe I shouldn't be hearing that. Maybe the problem is my hearing, okay? But, all right, never mind. Let's, let's, let's go here, okay? All right, so again, he's going to really put the emphasis on what you have. You have to put God first. This is going to go straight to the law, you do this, 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 all right? And then if you do this, then you get all the mater- you get the material things uh, as far as all of your material needs being met, all right? So let's, let's see how this goes. Firstborn belongs to God in a special way. They were to bring the first fruits of their harvest. They were not to eat that. They were to bring it to the Lord. And it was an act of faith and it was an act of worship in that we will give God the very first things of our lives. Everything, if you read the Old Testament, everything that was first in their lives was to be given to God. When you get into the New Testament, there's the teaching of the first day of the week. This is Sunday. We're to give God the first day of the week. We're to give God the first hours of the day. We're to give God the first part of our increase or income. Okay, so there's a lot here that we have to do, right? This is like all the things we have to do. We have to give God the first day of the week. Do Christians truly give God the first day of the week by going to church for an hour or two? And then the rest of the day is ours? Or supposed to give God the first hours of the morning? Do people really give God the first hours? We're supposed to give the, you know, first fruits, basically the first, most would say the first 10% of our income. Do Christians really do that? Look at the percentage of people who actually tithe. Like, if, if, he, if you start writing down all the first things we're supposed to do, your list is about to get really, really long. And I have a feeling that not very many people do those things. So if you don't do those things, then you don't get God's provision. And I think you would find yourself, you don't ever do these things the correct way. You fall short of these continually. So how do we understand this? Let's see what other things we have to do. Keep track of all the things you have to do. God says, I am God. And one of the things I'm going to do is teach you that I come first. Now, let me tell you something. God is God. He's got a right to be first in my life and a right to be first in your life. Amen. He has a right to be first. But let me ask you, he taught Israel that he was to be first. Israel live up to that literally ever? Ever. 
Did Adam and Eve put God first in the garden and they didn't even have a sinful nature from the moment of every other person is conceived in sin and brought forth as a sinner with a sinful nature? If we can someone who has a sinful nature truly ever put God first in any true meaning of the word that he's ultimately first in my life and he would have to be first personally, perfectly, exactly, entirely and perpetually. I will argue we don't. Now, you can try, you can email me and say, I put God first. Okay, well, I just hope you're honest when you clearly aren't putting God first. But okay, all right, let, let's, let's just keep track of all the things we're supposed to do. Man, he's God. And one of the ways he tests us and tries our faith is to find out if we are putting him first in every area of our life. The principle was this, all through the Old Testament, right on through the New Testament. That if we'd put God first, he'd take care of our lives. All right. So the principle is, you put God first, God will take care of your life. All you got to do, your focus is, don't worry on anything else. Just put God first and everything else. Everything else is going to be taken care of. Everything else is going to be good. He's going to take care of everything. Now He's saying this is a dogmatic principle. Put God first and everything's going to be taken care of. All right. Okay. I, I, I just, I just remember being a teenager. I definitely was trying to put God first and man, my life fell completely and utterly apart and abuse and not, okay. I could go through all the things that happened to me, but all right. Okay. Mm, all right. Let's, let's, let's see where this goes. Let's see where this goes. Let's see where this goes. I mean, I want to give him the full opportunity to explain it, right? Because he, I'm going to give him the opportunity to explain. I don't want to put words in his mouth. Let's see where this goes. We never have to worry about the basic necessities of life. Don't have to live in fretting and worrying about things. All right. Now that that's his words. You put God first. You don't have to worry about the basic necessities of life. You don't have to worry about food. You don't have to worry about shelter. You don't have to worry about clothing. You don't have to worry about that because you're going to get exactly what you, you don't have to worry about that at all. Now, I, now here's the thing. If you're worrying about it, which Christians, look, think of how many fights and arguments happen in marriage in regards to money, finances, about clothes, the, the house, food, you, you go on and on and on, plenty. So if, if a Christians are worrying about that, that would indicate that they're not putting God first. And if they're not putting God first, why are their needs still being met? Because, because you've got to explain to me how churches are filled with millions of people who clearly would, would be, would, they put their faith in Jesus Christ, but clearly that God is not first in their life. I mean, by any measure, meaningful measurement, God is not first, yet all of their needs are met. So like on one hand, if you put God first, your needs will be met. But obviously your needs can be met even if you don't God, put God first. So exactly how does this work? I'm trying to figure out the mathematical formula. If you put God first, your needs are met. However, if you don't put God first, your needs still may be met. <laughs> what? Look, how does that work? Do we, do we, if we took this to its logical conclusion, would it be fair to say, would this be a, would this be a, 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 a logical conclusion to this, to their thought? Would it not be, wouldn't you almost have to logically conclude that any person 
who doesn't put God first can't, will not have their needs met, right? I mean, wouldn't you have to kind of conclude that? God will take care of you. Don't have to worry about all those issues. He'll meet your needs. You know, I find out this, that people don't mind spending money on things they love. Did you ever notice that? If you love a four-wheeler, you'll, you'll scrape up the money. If you love fishing, you'll scrape up the, the, the reel, the boat. You'll scrape it up somehow or another. You like a motorcycle, right? Did, have you got one? How'd you get it? You got three of them. How'd you get them? Working and make money. Oh, I'll tell you, you had to scrape it up, didn't you? Oh, I'm going to tell you what, listen, I'm I, 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 telling you what, you know what you love to do? You'll scrape up the money if you get it done. If you like to go do this, you'll scrape the money up. If you like to go do that, you'll scrape it up somehow or another. God knows that we invest in, we put first in what we love. Now, we talked about this thing of two masters and, and uh, putting God first. And uh, there's nothing, God says, I want to give you all these things. Now, let's get something straight here this morning. I'm not preaching against 30, 30 rifles, bows and arrows, deer hunting. Now, I, I, you know, I, I, I will preach against white socks and chrome on your car, but other than that, everything, everything else all right. God ain't got a problem with money. Do you know, how many of you understand that God ain't got a problem with you making money? Does everybody understand that? God ain't got a problem with you enjoying your fishing boat. He don't have a problem with you enjoying some things in life. God ain't got a pro- God's a good God, amen. Uh, but he does not want you to get anything between him and you. And so if money... And see, this, oh, this is so maddening when you... When, when I don't know if you've ever been a Christian sitting in this kind of preaching and trying to figure this out. Okay, so I can have the boat. I can have the guns. I can go fishing. I can do this and do this. But, 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 but I can't let it get between me and God. I can't let... How do you know? What, what is the way you measure... When these things of entertainment and fun, how do you measure when they do become more of a priority in your life than the things of God? Like, how do you measure that? Hey, God has to be first. Okay, well then, I, I look, I, and I'm going to say this, and I'm, I'm going to offend a lot of men, but I've been, to, I've been in too many churches with too many men, and I've watched it, and I've said this so many times. And most churches, what I have noticed, it's the women who seem to study the Bible. They have the notebooks. They take the notes. They listen to sermons. They read theology books. Now, the men in the church who typically do those things are ones who are going to go to school to be a pastor. I'm just talking layperson, layperson. Here's a male, here's, here's a female. What I've seen in church, it's the women who do the Bible study methods, who read, who study, who if I'm at a church get-together, quote-unquote, it's the women I could talk doctrine of theology to, not most of the men. Now, if the men were studying to become a minister, then absolutely, we could go all day. But it, it would be women. Oh, I've read that book, or have you read this book? Boom, 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 boom. Church history, doctrine, theology, boom, boom, boom. They can talk, 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 talk. Do you get around with the men? Oh, I got this new truck and do, 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 do. And I'm doing this to the truck. And then, oh, I went hunting and I got this new rifle and boom, boom. And did you see the football game? And boom, 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 boom. And those things just flow out of them naturally. So that would seem to indicate that these, they get up at four in the morning to go shoot Bambi. They don't get up at four in the morning to study their Bible. They'll stay up till 1130 or midnight if the football game goes late and and go to work tired. They're not going to stay up till 1130 or midnight studying the Bible. 
I mean, I've seen it a million times. They'll go get an extra job to get extra money. They won't spend extra time studying a theological issue they're struggling with. But yeah, but yeah, yeah. No, no, no. These, I, these, I haven't put these things before God. I haven't put these things before God. How do you, what, what's the measurement, whether you put those things before God or not? I've seen too many times that the women seem more dedicated to the things of God. If I'm measuring it according to study, thinking, reading, meditating, listening, those, well, how else do you measure it? Where's your husband? Oh, he's out fishing. Where's your husband? He's out on the lake. Where's your husband? Well, they got up about four o'clock this morning and they went hunting. Okay. They've been hunting like five times already in the last five days. Okay. All right. But, but they got to go kill Bambi. Got to take a selfie with the dead deer. You know, you got to do that. Right. Okay. Now I'm not picking on hunting. I'm just saying, so how do you know you haven't put that before God? Like how, how do you even, how do you, What's the measurement? It's such an arbitrary standard. You better put God first. And and look, it's almost a threat. If you don't, God's not going to meet your needs. But, 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 but I'm not saying you can't do this and you can't get this and you can't enjoy this and you can't do this and you can't do this. So then everybody's like, amen, amen. God's a good God. He wants me to enjoy these things. Amen. Well, there's how many things before the things become something before God? How many things does it take before you become to give more time, more attention, more focus, more preoccupation, more sacrifice for that than you do the things of God? I think it's a reasonable, reasonable, reasonable question, considering according to this sermon, if you don't put God first, he may not meet your needs. You may not have a house. You may not have food. Money starts getting between you, he'll deal with your money. He don't want you to put your children between him and you. He doesn't want you to put your family between, you're not to put your family first. God doesn't want you to put your land first, or your house first, or your cattle first, or your, he doesn't want you to put your looks, or that care of your body or stature between you and God. He doesn't want you to put your health between him and you. He doesn't want you to put your appearance. He doesn't want you putting friends between you and him. God says, I'm going to be first. I'm going to be first in your life. I am God. And part of your worship to me is to put me first. Now, I'm just going to say this real simple. Most of your problems and my problems, we're not putting God first. I show you an area of life where you got trouble. I'll show you where you're not putting God first at. All right, so every problem in your life is a put God first problem. You got problems, you put God first, the problem goes away. Now, my thing is you have to convince yourself then that you're actually putting God first. So if, if, if all my problems are because I didn't put God first, then I need a measurement to know how I know when I'm not putting God first. I need a way of knowing. Okay, I know I'm not putting God first. Oh, 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 a warning sign, warning sign. Okay, I hear, I need my checklist. Here's my 10-step checklist to know if I'm putting God first. I mean, come on. Do you, let's just start with one. If I put God first, I'm assuming that I would be, I would be obeying this scripture. You tell me if you agree or disagree, right? I, I'm, I can't hear you, but I mean, if you're, in, if you're in the chat, you can tell me, but You'll love the Lord thy God with all your heart, mind, body, and soul. 
I mean, if you're gonna if you're gonna put God first, you gotta love Him first, right? You love Him supremely. Do you love God with all your heart, mind, body, and soul? Now, for it to be true, it's got to be a love that's internal. It's an internal love. It's got to be personal. It's got to be yours. It's got to be a perfect love. Cannot be corrupted by sin. Ooh, that's going to be a problem since you have a sinful nature. It's got to be exact. It's got to be entire. And it's got to be perpetual. I guarantee you fall short. Right there. You don't put God first. Just start with your love. You don't. And and any claim that you do is a total lie. And and, and then that leads to another sin problem. Because God will mess up your world everywhere you're not putting him first in. So every time things are going wrong in your life, God is messing up your world. God is doing it to you. You're being disciplined. You're being punished because you didn't put God first. Now, if I, if I read my Bible right, Job would have looked like he was putting God first, yet he suffered. So, so that means, God, all your problems are because you're not putting God first. However, you could have problems even though you are putting God first. God will only meet your needs if you put God first. However, you may get your needs met even if you don't put God first. At some point, I'm starting to have a hard time even understanding how this works in any meaningful, practical way, the people listening are saying, amen, like they've got it all figured out. I need to figure out where these people are and go, wait, wait, how does this work again? Okay, I got my pencil. Here we go. I need the mathematical formula, all right? If I put God first, all my needs are met. However, there's plenty of people whose needs are met who are not putting God first. So technically, you could get your needs met without putting God first. Wait, all your problems are because you're not putting God first. But however, there's plenty of people who have problems who put God first. (laughs) So, so, uh, how does this work? He doesn't want you putting friends or popularity between you and him. He doesn't want you putting your possessions. He doesn't want you putting your job, your work, your vocation before the Lord. He doesn't want you to put pleasure in in front of him. He doesn't want you to put fun, entertainments, trips, or enjoyments And by the way, he does not want people to put the ministry between them and the Lord. This is where a lot of preachers get messed up. A lot of people that serve the Lord and work in the ministry. They begin to put that ministry before the Lord. They can put the work that they do. All of a sudden, it becomes more important than their personal relationship with the Lord. God gives us a promise of priority. He says, if you'll seek me first, everything else will be added to you. Three times. So basically, almost anything in your life, you can ultimately put before God. But the key is you can't, if you do that, then boom, you don't get the promise. So who gets the promise? Who actually can lay claim that they put God first enough to be sufficient to get the promise? I want to, if you, if you're out there, please email me at newsif at yahoo.com. You may want to send a picture, an address, a video, because I need to put it out there on the internet. This is the, this person right here. They live in where, whatever state. Look at them. This is a video of them. That person right there, I can have like a little red pointer and I can show my church and show everyone. I can do a live YouTube video. That person right there, they put God first. They don't have any problems in their life because they put God first in every area of their life. And all of their needs are met because they put God first. That's the person right there. Be like them.
right? Remember, be like Mike. We, whoever you are, we can be like, be like, we'll start a campaign. Be like them because they figured it. And then you could write a book telling us how you figured out how to put God first. Considering everything can get in the way. Family, life, fun, jobs, money, even, even the ministry, everything can end up before God. Well, <laughs> I, oh boy, oh boy. I wonder who's ever fulfilled this sermon. Let me see. Who, who's ever put God first? The son of God put the father first, right? In a sense, right? Not my will, but your will be done. So I know the Bible says, seek first the kingdom of God and these things will be added unto you. I do know this. It's a law-based promise. The only way this can be fulfilled is in Christ Jesus, who did seek first the kingdom of God. He came preaching that the kingdom of God is at hand. He came to fulfill the will of the Father. That was his food was to fulfill. He said, not my will, but your will be done. He did it for us. In us, we fall short of all of these things. He said all these things. I believe we serve a good God. He said this. If ye being evil know how to give good things unto your children, good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your heavenly Father give good things unto them that ask him? I don't go for this thing about God up there with a sledgehammer waiting for you to move, do, make a move, wrong move. God knows my wrong moves before I ever moved them. You don't go with that idea? Yes, you do. You've just told everyone God will meet your needs if, if, you put him first and all of your problems are traced back to the fact that you didn't put God first. That sounds like God is sitting up there with a sledgehammer going, uh, uh, red alert, red alert, red alert, right there, right there, not putting me first. Boom, problems. Right, oh, take away all of your provision. Boom, you didn't put, that sounds like he's got a big sledgehammer. All right. Yeah, I'm throwing pencils around. All right, here we go. God knows my thoughts before I ever thought of him. He sees my thoughts afar off. God knows how frail I am. God knows, I'm telling you something, he hath not dealt with me after my iniquities and after my sin. God is a merciful, good God. Now, he wants honesty in the heart and he wants repentance. But God knows us. He knows you got a flesh nature. He knows you need a savior. He knows you're not good enough to go to heaven. He understands all those things. Okay. Well, then he has to know that I'm never truly going to put him first. Why? You just mentioned it. I have a sinful nature. What is the essence of sin? What is the definition of sin? The exaltation of I. Sin is always about our nature, always seeks first us, our wants, our desires, our pleasure. That's why 24 hours a day, if you look at your life, who seems to get the priority? You. Who seems, well, how do you react when things don't go your way? I mean, uh, over and over, it's you, you, you. We know this. So whoever accomplishes what you're saying I have to accomplish in order to get my needs met and to avoid having problems in life. But here's where God wants you to have. God says, I want you, and this is where spiritual maturity comes in at. God wants you to a point of where you start loving Jesus. Now listen to me. Because of who he is, not because of what he can do or give you. All right. So I'm supposed to love Jesus for who he is, not what, not because of what he will do or what he will give me, but the whole basis of your sermon is he will only meet my needs if I do 
I have to love him. I have to put him first. So that means I have to love him. So I've got to love him first or he won't meet my needs, but I should only love him because of who he is and not what he will do. Even though you just made it clear that my needs may not be met unless I meet the requirement and that my problems in my life are there because I don't meet the requirement of putting God first. But now you're telling me, no, 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 no. You don't love him for what he will do. You just love him for who he is. But if I don't love him for who he is, then he's going to, how do I, how do I keep the distinction? I only love you for who you are, but I love you because if I don't love you first, you're going to not meet my needs and you're going to put problems in my life. But, 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 but I don't love you for that. I only love you for who you are, but I love you for who you are. But I know if I don't love you first, you're going to take away my needs and you're going to put problems in my life. But I only, what in, how do I even keep this? straight. This is where God wants to lead us. This is where God wants Reg Kelly at. God wants me to love him because of who he is, not because of what I can get out of him or what he can do for me. This is the difference between seeking the Lord's... uh, Kenny, you're just too handy. Would you come up here for just a second, please? I want to show you something. Now, you watch this. Kenny, you stand up there. I'm going to pretend like he's my heavenly father. All right? I am his child. This is how we spend most of our life in our relationship with God. We're always looking at God's hands. We're always looking at his hands. What's God got for me? What can God give me? God give me some. And if we happen to look up. Okay. So we should not be looking to God's hands. But the whole thesis of this sermon is, if I put God first, my needs are met and I won't have problems. But don't, but now he's saying in the middle of the sermon, no, 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 but you don't look to God for what he will do for you. But the whole thesis is, if you put God first, he'll meet your needs. Logical implication. If you don't put God first, he won't meet your needs. All of your problems is because you don't put God first. So you want to put God first so you won't have problems. But but, but don't look to God for what he will do for you. Only look to God for who he is. But the whole emphasis has been on what he will do or not do for you based off what you do. Now I'm not supposed to look to him for what he will do. But that's the whole sermon. But like God, give me something. And we look back at his hands. The Bible says not to seek his hands, but to seek his face. Seek ye first the, the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be added unto us. God says, listen, I'm going to tell you something. God is wonderful. God is glorious. God is holy. God is righteous. God is wise. God knows that we'll never be what we could be until we quit looking at his hands and start looking at his face. And we love him not because of what he can give us and do for us, but because of who he is. Let me tell you something. Can, can you say something? Do you know what Karen really wants for me? Karen doesn't want me to love her uh, 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 brother because of what she can do for me or how good she can cook or how good she can kiss. He wants me to love her for who she is. And may I tell you this, that until we love our spouses for who they are, not what we can get out of them. We're going to have marriage problems. Did you know that we need to love our kids for who they are, not how wonderful they are, not how spiritual they are, not how good they make us look? Did you know your own kids, can they pick it up whenever you're, they're wanting you to make them look, mom and daddy look good. 
When you must love your kids because of who they are, not because of what they can do, what they can achieve, or how good they can make you look. This is the deal about love. This is about seeking him first. And so I'm saying to you this, there's this promise of priorities. But priorities can get so slowly out of whack, we don't even know we've done it. Okay. It's just weird because the sermon, the whole, you think the sermon would go like this. Okay, look. You don't get your needs met, and you're going to have problems unless you put God first. Here's how you put God first. Well, now, I, I guess what he's saying, the number one way you put God first is that you don't put God first by seeking or loving him for what he will do for you, even though the whole basis of the sermon is what God will do for you. But you can't love him for that. If you love God for what he will do for you, then you don't love him correctly. Therefore, you've not put God first. You're actually putting yourself first. Okay, that's interesting, but that only increases the likelihood that nobody is going to put God first. This is bizarre. We're going to stop right there at the 21-minute mark. 21 minute. I'm writing it down, all right, because if I don't write it down now, I'll forget it. 21-minute mark. I, I am... I am baffled and perplexed. I, th- I think I see where he's going. He, he didn't really, there was no transition. He do this, you get this. However, to get this, you got to love God first, but you got to love him first in the right way. How do you love God first in the right way? You love him not for what he will do. But the whole point he made for the first like 18 minutes is what God will do and what God will not do for you if you don't put him first. So now to put him first, you've got to love him the right way. Well, whoever truly loves God the right way, don't we always love God at least in some part because of what he does for us? Oh, come on. You know that. That's why our love is never pure. Our love is never correct. And that's why we never love God correctly. So therefore, we never truly put God first. Therefore, we're always in violation of this. There's a million other things I can say. Now I just have to hand it to you. I would love to get your questions and your thoughts on all of this. Newsif at yahoo.com. Newsif at yahoo.com. That's newsif at yahoo.com. Newsif at yahoo.com. Well, it's 6.02 p.m. Okay, the sunset was supposed to be 5.44 p.m., at least according to Siri. I mean, there's not, there's a little bit of daylight left, so it's not completely dark. So our, our late night sermon review turned into a late afternoon, early evening <laughs> sermon review. I, I wanted to keep it late at night, but I just felt like if I was going to do this tonight, I needed to do it right then. I did not want this to go to three parts. I did not want this to go to three parts, but it has. So tomorrow we'll work on part number three. All right. I may bring you a late night episode tonight. I may bring you a late night episode. I have to figure out what I want to do. Um, so just, just the, we, we, the church one app is working. We did, we did not lose connection one time. So right, right when we first went live, it messed up twice, but it did not mess up again. So I don't know. I still don't understand exactly what's going on, but we think we fixed that problem. So please have the church one app. Please choose us. And, and if you can, if you, if you have anything on demand that you want to listen to, use the church one app or the sermons 2.0 app. We're at 89,000, 
89,300, 89,400, 89,500 downloads and streams. And we we want to get to, I, I would like to get to 100,000 by, uh, I, I know we can, we can, well, we can definitely get to 90,000 before, uh, obviously based on the numbers that we've been, been seeing. So we, we would like to get to 100,000 uh, by the end of November. But you know what? It doesn't really matter. Use whichever app you want. Because as soon as I say go listen to that one, then we lose numbers on that one. Just use whichever one you want. We're we're on every pod- podcasting platform and app under the sun. Use whatever. But the Church One app is the one. If you want to listen to us when we're live, it's the easiest way to do so. So, all right. If you have any questions and you're like, okay, how do I get your content? How, just email me, newsif at yahoo.com. All right. Wow. I'm still trying to figure that out. I, there, I, I'm going to stop because we're at it over an hour. All right. Thank you for listening. We'll talk more about this tomorrow. God bless.